0: This morning i'm going to um do something quite a bit different and uh in that i'm going to uh i i've wrote i've wrote you a letter written you a letter well i don't know how to say that um and don't worry it's not a resignation letter um but, <laughs> um but it's just uh a letter that um i had some things on my heart that i wanted to share with you and and, and I wanted to kind of connect that to the next uh, series that we'll be starting. Um, we will return back to the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to take kind of a reprieve uh, for maybe I don't know, five or six weeks um, and discuss something a little bit different. So, um, like I said, this is just a letter expressing uh, my heart uh, to you all. Now, Paul was in the habit of starting his letters with thanksgiving showing thankfulness to god for his hearers and i find that a perfectly good place to begin and so i want you to know that i am thankful for you i'm thankful for each and every one of you i'm thankful that god has began a work in you i'm thankful that god has brought you here or that god has kept you here over the years um, i'm thankful that he's brought you to faith and he's granted you repentance and, uh, and that you have found forgiveness for sins in Christ. But my thankful heart does, does not end there. It goes deeper than that. And in order to explain, I must dive into the past. I don't often speak of my time in ministry at our previous church, at uh, First Baptist Church of Atlanta, Missouri. Um, I loved ministering there. Um, I, I loved being there. I was the associate pastor, the youth director, and the worship leader, all rolled up into one part-time position. Um, I enjoyed every, every aspect, nearly every aspect of, of being part of a church in Atlanta. It was uh, about 30 miles north of us, and, um, but I, I, I loved being there. I gained valuable experience uh, through the two and a half years of ministry there unfortunately that experience became marred because of the dramatic fashion in which my tenure ended i was given the ultimatum to either leave or have a deep-seated personal and private sin struggle exposed to the entire church and because it would be public i'm sure it would have gone to the rest of the community outside the church as well the ultimatum was preceded by a conflict-laden, harsh, grueling process to determine the best course of action, it was preceded by about four months. That process alone left me in shambles, but at least I knew what was coming. Yet even though I saw the writing on the wall and I had my letter of resignation in hand, at the deacon's meeting when I was given my letter of dismissal, the blow was nonetheless just devastating. In fact, even as I wrote this letter, my eyes started to fill with tears at remembering the hurt and the pain, the feelings of of, of betrayal. Now, there are two sides to every story, and I've sought to bear the burden of of the responsibility for my part that led to the tragic and unfortunate event in those days. But this is not the place to spill everything and to divulge all the details, so I'll digress. I bring this up only because it is part of my history that I think you don't know, but also because it's an important part of the story for how God led us to you. After that crushing blow, Kara and I didn't attend church for several weeks, probably about a month and a half. My heart was just defeated. It was broken. I was crushed. Um, I I didn't even want to return to ministry. I was done. Um, I didn't see how I could, to be honest. Not only did I not have the will, I just didn't see how it was possible. But praise the Lord, my faith itself wasn't rocked, even though my call to ministry was definitely on the rocks. So after our short reprieve of, from after our short reprieve from church services, we eventually returned to Kara's home church with her family at First Baptist Church Salisbury, which is where we were attending before uh, we we went to Atlanta. We remained there for the next nine to ten months, and uh, it didn't take long for me to realize that although I had been burned. My passion for God's church would not be extinguished so easily. God created me to care deeply for His church, and that just wasn't going to change. I have a deep and sincere desire to see God's church function according to His scriptures and to reach communities with the message of the gospel of Christ found in the scriptures. It didn't take me long to realize, excuse me, it didn't take me long for me to realize when I would know that God didn't want me in ministry anymore. It would be when I no longer had breath in my lungs. After about a year, I decided to reach out and begin preaching again at churches who needed someone to fill their pulpits. And Mark Carter gave my number to Don and who contacted me uh, sometime in February of 2017. Kara was about a week away from uh, Justice's due date. And so not knowing what would happen, and I didn't want to commit to coming here and preaching and filling a Sunday uh, when we could end up being in the hospital, we decided to put plans off. And, and uh, after Justice was born, Don and I reconnected, and, and uh, we made a date for me to come and, and preach here. It was March 11th of uh, 2017, almost a year to the week of my dismissal from Atlanta, I truly believe that God directed our paths here, and He redeemed our broken story at Atlanta with First Baptist Church Glasgow. I'm thankful for you all. I love you all, and I thank you for welcoming us, for um, loving us, for supporting us, and for just showing uh, your deep desire to to be. Um, a church that wants to see itself exist and wants to see Glasgow come to know Christ. So that Sunday, March uh, March 11th of 2017 was the Sunday morning of daylight saving time, and we pulled in with our three-week-old little boy. We had left our girls with Nana and Papa up in Salisbury. And that morning, I preached to eight people, including Kara and Justice. Honestly, I, I can't say I was surprised. Uh, I, I've preached to many rural churches who are dying or already dead and they just didn't know it. And so honestly, I figured coming here, if they were in need of, of someone to supply of the pulpit, you're probably in the same condition. And so I hope you'll appreciate my honesty here, as I, I, I don't mean any, any level of disrespect. Um, and I, I actually, am going to, I say these things to praise God for his work here and how far he's brought us. We walked through those doors as we're walking towards a, a beautiful, historic building. And we walked into the doors and we walked into the sanctuary um, and found it just decrepit we found paint falling off the ceilings and walls um, a smell of mold and mildew uh, pew cushions wore out not just that they were falling apart they they've been wore out carpet wore out um, you know uh, the, the, the bathrooms downstairs in the hallway and in, in, in the, the old classrooms um were infested with, with bugs and spiders. And it just wasn't, it wasn't a pretty sight. But I could see that the church had a history. I could see that at one point in time, the church was active. The church was busy. The church was productive for the kingdom of God. But at the time, what I saw was people just trying to survive just trying to make it from week to week wondering if the church would 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 make it just hanging on by a thread of hope and this is what i told people i told people that the church had been in survival mode for so long that they just didn't quibble over the small stuff they just didn't sweat it because they were in some survival mode and that is to their benefit but on the other side, the problem that I, that I could see coming in the future was that because they'd been in survival mode for so long, they don't know how to look up. They don't know how to look out to the horizon to see a new future of new beginnings. So after every week, Don would come up to me and invite us back for me to preach again. And that would go on for about three weeks. Three months or so. And uh, and so then the church uh, honored me with the invitation to be the pastor here. And I accepted not knowing what the future would hold. I just said, you know what? This is what's in front of me, so we're going to go ahead and do it and see what's in store, um, what the Lord has for us. So I, I remember telling Don actually, at the time that if something else came along that would allow me to go into full-time ministry, I would probably take it. Um, but God in his sovereignty has kept us here and as tough as it is to pastor a church living 40 miles away, I'm glad we're still here and I'm glad he's kept us here. So here we are now, two and a half years later, 120 ish sermons and y'all haven't asked me to leave. We average 30 to 40 on a Sunday morning with new members. We have sunday school again we've had back-to-back years of vbs this past year having 50 in attendance Um, we have walls and ceilings painted we have a new roof we have a remodeled fellowship hall remodeled kitchen downstairs we have new carpet downstairs we have plans and motions for a new carpet in the sanctuary and in the um, uh, atrium the the entryway Uh, we have new plans for pews and pew cushions and Certainly, but not—or uh, last but not least—is our ongoing fight along Steve's, our friends at Steve's Pest Control, against those <laughs> pesky web-flinging insects. I do not say all this to, to pat myself on the back. I do not say all this to, to make it seem like I give myself credit for this. I don't. I say all this to give glory to God for His work in the church. It's not just one person. God works in his people. God works through his people and God works among his people. So praise the Lord for breathing new life into his church. But I want, I want you to know something. Our hardest and most important days, I believe, are still ahead of us. As important as it is for us to do our best with t- t- to make this building um, welcoming and enjoyable and, and, and livable as a facility for us to come to gather and to worship in and for our guests to come in. and um, Sorry, I, that just came out. <laughs> um, as important as it is for us to be good stewards of what God has given us, it is not nearly as important as us making the necessary changes to honor God by reaching the lost and the dying in our town, in our local community. We have to decide what kind of church we're going to be. What are we going to be about? What are going to be our core values? What is our mission statement? This is a task for which I created or formed the vision committee. If this church is going to make it another generation or two, we've got to cast a vision. We've got to get down to what is it we're going to honor? What is it we're going to value? What are we going to be about? How are we going to form a strategy to reach the lost and dying in Glasgow and in the surrounding communities? As a pastor, as your pastor... My fear is that we're just going to be content, that we are happy with how far we've come as a church, and we should be, but that's going to lead to apathy, that we're going to be satisfied with ourselves and all the activity that we've seen. I'm afraid that we're going to lose heart to actively see others come to know a saving relationship with Christ. Before, the vision of the church was just to survive, pray, and hope for better days. It would seem that better days are here, that God has brought us to a point where we are at a crossroads. What direction do we want to go? Are we going to be content with ourselves and the fact that we have something going amongst ourselves, or are we going to say, this isn't enough? God has not called us to just survive. God has called us to reach our community for Christ. The church has been saved from closing its doors, at least for the time being. But my fear is that we're just going to continue to look inward. We're not going to look out to how God wants to use us to spread his love to our community. That is what God created the church for. God didn't create the church to just survive, to just exist perpetually. The church isn't always going to exist. There will be a day when the age of the church closes and the story of the redemption of God moves on to the next phase. And no church has a right to exist forever. All that we've accomplished Can be compared to a phase one of a plan. Yes, we have activity taking place. Praise the Lord. Yes, we're repairing and remodeling the building that God has given us to be stewards of. And we should praise him for that. And we should continue that work. But that is not all he wants us to accomplish. I believe there's more. I believe there is so much more. As I mentioned earlier, I've preached in several rural churches who were dying or already dead, and they just didn't know it. So I've given a lot of thought to the state of these churches and how, how they've got here. It seems to be a theme across rural churches, and not even rural churches, it actually is happening even in some city churches. What has led to their demise? No doubt there are lots of reasons, and I'm not claiming to be an expert, but I think I have an idea. Culture changed, and the church was not able to adapt to it. Let me expound upon that for a few minutes. In generations past, everyone went to church because that's just what you did, the church was the center of community. If you didn't go to church on Sundays, then you were ostracized. You were, you were shunned. You were, you were looked down upon. You were considered a second-class second citizen. You were you were, you were heathen. You didn't fit in normal functioning society. You were kind of an outcast. Now, the church is not the center of community. Even though most people who I talk to about going to church say, yeah, it'd be a good thing for me to go, But they they don't go. Going to church is not important to the normal person anymore. Even if they think that they should and that it's a good thing to do, it just doesn't take priority. Now, this is a significant change in the lives of communities and in the lives of churches. Churches were used to people just coming into their doors just by holding a service. Just by having a function for people to come to, people are going to come to it because that's just what they did. But that's, that's just not the way it is anymore. And when that change took place, for whatever reason, churches did not change their mindset or their strategy for sharing the good news of Jesus with others. They think that people should come to them to hear about Jesus. Too many churches To too many church leaders surprise? To too many Christians surprise? That's actually not the way the Bible designed the message of Christ to be taken to the world. What does Jesus say? Go. Go, therefore, to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that I've taught you. All throughout Scripture. God is sending his messengers out to share his message. But we seem to think and get all bent out of shape that those who need to hear it aren't coming to us for it. To put it bluntly, Christians got lazy because culture revolved around going to church. And when it stopped, churches were left scratching their heads saying, well, what do we do now? Why aren't people coming? Why do they choose sports or chores or the lake or work or whatever it is? Why do people choose something else overcoming the church to worship Jesus and hear the message of the, of the gospel preached? Now, I think that's a perfectly good question. It's important. But you can have the answer to that question And you still won't get people to come back. Because the reality is, culture has changed. And it's going to stay that way for quite some time. And the only way culture is going to be reversed is if the church changes to the culture and comes up with a strategy to reach people outside these walls rather than expecting them to come here. So the real question is, How do we go to them? That's a big question. And it doesn't have a one-size-fits-all answer. The answer depends on the community being reached. Who, Who is our target audience? Who do we want to focus in on to reach for the gospel of Jesus? What are the strengths and weaknesses of the church? What are the resources of the church? What is the health of the church? What do we need to work on to be God-honoring and loving, so that when God does add to our number, the people coming into our community and the body of Christ as believers, we will have a healthy community for them. We will have a loving, welcoming, God-honoring, Christ-exalting community for them to join. So as we continue with repairing and remodeling the church building... I think it's time that we start what we can call a phase two, which is to look at what the Bible says makes a church healthy and make necessary changes. Now this this will prove much more difficult task than just working on the building. Because in part it is a change of church culture from within. It is a change that comes from conviction. It is a change that comes from our mindsets being more biblical, being more grounded in the scriptures. So over the next several weeks, Lord willing, we're going to, as I mentioned earlier, take a break from studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I want us to look at five key areas of church life that that relate to and promote church health. The first is authority, that answers the question, who's in charge. The second is leadership, which answers the question, who do I follow? We often think those are the same thing, authority and leadership. We conflate those into one, but really, they're two separate issues. Third, we'll look at membership. What does it mean to be a church member? To whom am I accountable? Fourth, we'll look at unity. This seeks to answer the question, who is my brother or sister in Christ? And fifth is worship. Why do we gather? I hope that I've demonstrated over the past couple years that I'm not an authoritarian. Meaning, I'm not here to use my authority to get my way. That's not what pastors are supposed to do. And that's not how pastors are supposed to lead. That's not how pastors are supposed to cultivate change. That's what CEOs do. That's how CEOs operate. Pastors lead. They teach. They care. And they serve. And that is what I want to do. There are differences of opinions on all these issues. That's okay. I do not want the church just to adopt my opinion on what the Bible says about any of these things just because I'm the pastor. That really won't help the church in the long run. If God were to lead us to another church down the road, I don't want the Church of First Baptist Glasgow to be left with policies or or procedures or ideas that you don't understand or worse that you don't even agree with i've seen that done it 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 doesn't work it gets messy that doesn't bring about lasting change my goal as a pastor is to study scriptures to teach the scriptures and to help the church be as biblical and adhere to what the scriptures say what is the church how is the church supposed to operate To answer these questions that I brought up before. So my goal is to show you why I believe what I believe about those issues. To show you based upon what the Bible says about them. Not just because I came up with them. Or not because, you know, some teacher I respect thinks them. I want us to go to the Bible. What does God's word say about the church? How is it supposed to function? Insofar as I do that, insofar as I teach God's word to you about what the Bible says about the church and you agree with it and you're on board, then and only then can we work on implementing those ideas and procedures into the church's culture and the church life. So my ultimate goal for the church is twofold. For us to glorify God and how well we love each other. I want the people of Glasgow to say those those people who go to the First Baptist Church. I'm not so sure about them, but I know one thing: they love each other. They care for one another, and they welcome anybody who's willing to come to them. But also. My other goal is for us to glorify God not only in how well we love each other but how well we love the community. I want people to say I know they care for me. I want someone who would never ever set foot in this building to say I know so and so and they are They go to this church and I'll never go there, but I know they love me. I know I can call them and they'll do whatever they can for me. So I would ask three things of you, three prayer requests from your pastor. I want you to pray with me as we embark upon the new chapter of church life together. I want you to pray that God would one, give me wisdom as your pastor, as I seek to lead the church in a God honoring way. I want you to pray that God would unite us in love and passion to see him glorified through us. Do we want to see God glorified in this church? There's a, a church worker who works with Missouri Baptist churches, and he has a book out called Reclaiming Glory. And he asks a question in this in this book. He says, All these churches are closing their doors. Does that bring God glory? No. God does not receive glory from his church when the doors close. I want us to pray that God would glorify himself through our church. That people would glorify God because of this church, their local Baptist church. Third, I want you to pray that God would use us to bring many people into his church through the saving power of Jesus. Pray that God would bring many people into his church through the saving power of Jesus. And Acts, as the church was just getting its start, there's stories of the apostles preaching. And day after day, God was adding to their number. The first few chapters, someone would preach and God would save Someone would preach and God would save. And the church just grew and grew and grew. The number of people who are members of a church does not necessarily tell you about the quality or health of that church. But if a church is healthy, if a church is honoring God, then the number will increase. So I'm not up here saying I want to see people come in and become members of our church just just so we can write it down on an annual report. I want us to see people coming to know Jesus because that means that we're doing our job. So those are the three things that I would encourage and ask humbly as your pastor that you would pray that God would give me wisdom as I lead the church, that God would unite us in love and passion to see him glorified through us, and that God would use us to bring people into his church through the saving power of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, I ask that you would do all these things. Lord, I acknowledge, Lord, my need for wisdom, Lord, my need for leadership, Father, my need uh, for a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, I pray that you would unite, Lord, us in love, Lord, that we would love each other well. Father, and I pray that you'd unite unite us in passion, or that we would long to see you glorified through your church, through us. Father, and finally, I pray that you would use us to bring many people, many people, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That they would join the ranks of the church. Lord, that they would join the kingdom. Lord, that you would deliver them out of the kingdom of darkness and deliver them into the kingdom of your Son, where they can have redemption, where they can have the forgiveness of the sins. Lord, where they can be free from sin and death. Father, I ask that you would do this to glorify yourself through your church and for the good of your church. Amen.